1: How to do
2: the splits on your mortgage. No, I'm not talking about overstretching yourself financially, but how thousands of borrowers are finding their mortgage lenders are flexible enough to give them more than one type of loan on their home. Nearly a million people reported scam calls, texts or emails from criminals posing as the UK tax authority HMRC last year. The FT's Alice Cantor received one such call last week and the scammer was so convincing she nearly believed that she owed over £2,000. Keep listening to hear her story and how to protect yourself. And despite the rising cost of childcare, statistics out this week show a million parents are not claiming for the tax-free childcare benefits they're entitled to. Are you one of them? Welcome to The Money Show, the FT's weekly podcast about personal finance and investing. I'm Claire Barrett, FT Money Editor, bringing you all of this week's news. Mortgage borrowers are increasingly doing the splits on their home loans, by which we mean dividing up their debt between different products from the same lender as confidence begins to return to the housing market. But these split deals come in several shapes and sizes, appealing particularly to borrowers We're making a larger house purchase. James Pickford, Deputy Money Editor, is here in the studio to tell us about this emerging trend. Welcome, James.
1: Hello.
2: Now, I mean, the listeners at home can't see that you are actually doing the splits um, in the studio (laughs) at the moment. I I, I jest, I jest. And my attempts with the FT Picture Desk to to get a picture of somebody doing the splits um, on your article were also foiled. But when we're talking about um, splitting a mortgage deal, what do we actually mean?
1: So, um, there are various ways in which you can do this, and it is quite niche, I should add. Mm. But it's as confidence has grown in, in the market, uh, particularly at the higher end, um, you know, people who are looking for, do, to what uh, are increasingly looking for sort of clever ways of dividing up their, their debt so they can get the best deal on rates or they can. Yeah, get different types of, of mortgages such as repayment or interest only and that is one of the most common splits actually where a borrower would like ideally to have a pure interest only mortgage and, and and those are becoming increasingly available now subject to tighter rules um, uh, but they hit the buffers um, because most lenders won't won't uh, give you any more than 50% of the value of the home in an interest only mortgage. Mm. So they mix it up. So they have 50% on interest only and then the rest on a repayment uh, basis. Uh, That's one example. Others are where uh, someone who uh, earns their money in, in sort of lumps of income. So it might be a self-employed person, it might be a law firm partner, um, a banker, say. Uh, they will have a pretty good idea, fingers crossed, that they'll get a, a, a chunk of money coming in in a year or two. And so in that case, they could have part of the loan on a on a, a, a very short-term fixed rate, which gives them the opportunity of a, of, a, of a lower interest rate. And the rest of it on a... Um, an interest-only or a or a very uh, long-term um, five-year rate, say, which gives you the certainty of a fixed interest rate in case uh, the economy changes or interest rates go up.
2: Now, the mortgage brokers who you spoke to for your article um, were saying this is becoming more common, especially with people um, who are buying large properties. But in general, um you would have to go through a mortgage broker in order to get one of these split deals?
1: Um, you, you you would, um, although uh, it's, it's really that, that um, lenders don't necessarily advertise them. And that's why they, they tend to be uh, at the suggestion of a mortgage broker who knows that, that if you ask a lender, most lenders, banks and building societies, will do this if you ask them, but they don't advertise it because it adds greater complexity uh, for them, and um, and so yes, it, it by default ends up being done through a broker. And bear in mind, you can't you, you can't mix lenders. You have to; it's it's done through one lender offering different types of their their arrangement with you. Um, so uh, yeah, the other thing uh, you, you need to look at is the arrangement fee, mm. and this is something that a broker will will generally do. So if, if you're Mixing products, and it might not even. It might be more than more than two um, products. Might be splitting three ways. Actually, uh, you need to make sure that you're not paying two or three arrangement fees because these can run into four figures. And uh, it, you know, obviously, if you're very wealthy and you're taking out a huge sum of money, it won't matter so much. Um, but if you're if you're uh, you know if if you're at the lower end, then you really need to think about that. Now, one kind of novel way that people are using
2: split mortgage deals is as a way that they could perhaps fund a future property purchase. Less common, but still interesting.
1: Yeah, it was interesting. One uh, broker who I spoke to said that you know last year was very much the year of the fixed term. Uh, deal lock into a low rate, lock for into longer. a low rate. All this uncertainty, Brexit uncertainty, etc. This year, uh, you know, people have moved on from from uh, desperately wanting that peace of mind. to thinking, well, how can how can I really get a sophisticated mm. be- the better deal? Is more confidence. People are more interested in looking at their options. So, one of the things that he's noticed is people are pre-agreeing loans in tranches and that they may not need all of the loan. Uh, now um, but they have an expectation that they will want to buy a second usually a second property somewhere and and he gives a case of someone who wants to buy a property on the coast where you know supply is short you know you're looking these things these properties sought after properties don't come up that often so you pre-agree the loan um and and the reason to do that is speed. You know, when the property, as soon as the property comes up, you can say, right, I'm there. I can exchange by Friday, and people like to be able to do that.
2: Well, certainly, anecdotally, um, reports of how quickly things are moving in the property market um, are already reaching the, the the money desk. And anyone putting a home on the market at the moment, um, my found it's red hot. Now, another
1: way that people are using split mortgage deals is if they happen to be the bank of mum and dad. That's right. So it's not just at the top end. You can have situations where and this is quite common actually where um, a first time buyer, a young person may not be able to afford uh, the, the repayments or uh, to, to be able to get on the housing ladder. So they call in mum and dad on the mortgage they remain the sole owner of the property but it's a joint borrower mortgage and uh, for most parents they'll that there are standard ways of doing this, and you you all follow the same term. But actually, now you get these splits occurring. Uh, one building society, Hinkley and Rugby, came out three weeks ago with a deal where the parents could um, opt out, essentially, uh, of of the deal after uh, several years. You know, you they could fix a different term on their part of the mortgage from. Uh, the owner uh, who would who would last the, the standard sort of 25, 30, 35 year term. And that might appeal particularly where, you know, someone's going to retire or they expect to hand over a lump sum to the child uh, in two or three or five years. Uh, and so they can hand over. There's another sort of way in which I suppose it's quite interesting is that people um, would do this uh, where they'd have a, a repayment mortgage initially um, while they're still working, and then in expectation of retiring. So that this is some you know, someone who's in the sort of middle of their life or later life. Mm. And then when they retire, they, they switch to an interest-only mortgage, which they service with their lower pension income.
2: And finally, just run us through... Some of the risks, if you were listening to this and considering taking out a second deal, I mean, we've covered the fees, um, but there some mortgages will allow you to make an overpayment without having to to do a split. Yeah, deal.
1: absolutely, it's pretty standard actually. Ten percent a year, um, you can overpay uh, on a repayment mortgage without incurring any penalties for doing so. So you really need to just, just ask yourself whether you need these complex deals. The other thing you need to just be careful of is if you're signing up to something, uh, which, you know, in, in where there's an event in three years time where you switch to another kind of deal, or, or you're signing up to something that, you know, that ties you in for a long period, do you get the option to change, um, the deal later on? Because you really want to know that you're getting the best deal, getting the best rates. Um, at, at at a certain point in the term of the mortgage, you know, so you can it gives you the flexibility to switch later on.
2: Well, thanks very much. There's so James Pickford, deputy editor of FT Money. You can read James's ask call: Should you do the splits on your mortgage now? On our website, ft.com/slash money. You might think you're smart enough not to fall for a scam call, but that's what my FT colleague Alice Cantor thought until she got a call last week purporting to be from the UK tax authorities. The scammer on the other end of the line was so convincing, Alice nearly believed that she owed £2,300 worth of tax and she's written about the experience in FT Money this weekend to raise awareness of this growing crime. Welcome Alice. Hi Claire. Well th- firstly thank you so much for being willing to write about your experiences. It's always a bit of a risk putting yourself out there but I have to say um, the response that there's been from readers in the 24 hours since we've published your article has been phenomenal. Like Nearly everyone who has commented has had A call like this, um, or has had parents who've been fleeced by um, a call like this. So tell us briefly, why was this scammer so convincing?
3: So I got the call early in the morning, and it started with an automated message. And I think that was kind of convincing because it was just a voice telling me, This is the HMRC. We're letting you know that we believe you've defrauded the government, and there's a warrant out for your arrest. If you want to hear more, click one. That was pretty scary. And then the the person, once I clicked one, who answered and started talking to me, sounded really professional. It mm. sounded like it was a, a busy office and he was just going through my case. He asked me for my name and then pulled out my looked like my record and he knew my postcode. And you've he, just moved apartment. Yes.
2: That's, that's <laughs> and crazy. he knew the right postcode. So that instantly made you think, OK, um, these people must be the tax office. But then when you started to pick holes in his argument, particularly his insistence that you'd, that you'd broken the law and you were saying, I've got an accountant, I do everything through them, this has nothing to do with me, I haven't had a letter. He just had an answer for everything.
3: Yes, he was so quick to answer. Nothing was phasing him. I pulled, he said, well, we've tried to reach you. We've tried to call you and send you letters. I said, I, I haven't gotten any 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 phone calls. And the last letter I got from you um said everything was fine and he he was so quick to answer he said no no um that letter was a we know about that letter but we've sent you a subsequent letter um because we realized we made a mistake so he he wasn't unfazed by the fact that i was mentioning another letter then he said well we've been looking at fraud all the way till all the way from 2015. And I said, well, in 2015, I wasn't even living in the UK. So how can you possibly ask me for taxes from that point? And he said, no, we're looking at everyone from 2015 to 2019. That's just a whole range we're looking at. He was he had just an answer for everything. He was really quick. And so nothing seemed to surprise him. No information I was bringing to him seemed to surprise them so and he was he was bamboozling
2: you with technical information he was saying at one point you know this is an offense under section one hundred and fifteen of the UK tax code you know things that made him sound like he was um, genuinely from HMRC now in the end um,
3: you did hang up what was it that made you think this isn't real so He offered me two options. He said, you're either going to have to fight these criminal charges with an attorney or you're going to have to settle with, quote, out of court restitution. And he said, which of these options do you want? And I thought that was so strange that he was asking me to make a decision right away on the phone, even though I hadn't seen a single piece of uh, documentation. Mm. So that's when I said, look, I'm not going to make a decision until I see something. And he said, well, you're running the risk of being arrested now and you're facing five years in prison. And so he became so assist- insistent about this idea I was going to get arrested if I didn't pay straight away, essentially, that um, I realised it was a scam. Yeah.
2: Well, thank goodness you did. Now, you were um, in the FT office um, when you got the call and um, I hope you don't mind listeners telling me when, when it happened, you ran straight over to my desk and said, oh, have I done the right thing? I've hung up on the tax office. They they said this and they said that and I said, oh, relax, um, Alice, you know, like everyone gets gets these calls. Um, it's just a scam, at which point you've just became so angry because you were like, well, I'd never heard of this. And like, why is it going on? Why can't somebody stop it? Because I nearly gave this man £2,000.
3: Yeah, I was really angry. And I was so upset that everyone around me seemed to be aware of it and thought that it was happening to everyone. Like, it's not okay that everyone gets a call like this. In fact, when the story came out yesterday, two people from the FT um, sent me an email saying it's happened to them in the last couple of days. It happened to me the day after
2: you got your call and I told them I work from the HMRC press office. Um, and they and they probably hung up. I have to say, lots of readers have, have said that they get rid of scam callers by asking them, does your mother know um, that you do this for a living, um, which is seems seemingly an effective way. But your journalistic instinct then kicked in and you thought, well, okay, what's being done to stop um, these calls if they are so common and everyone and their dog is receiving them? And also, why aren't criminals being arrested um, for these crimes, there's hardly any evidence that legal action is being taken
3: against the people who are perpetrating these annoying and costly scams. Yeah. so I think there's two sides to this. One is raising awareness about these calls happening so that no one um, gets tricked like I almost did. And the second part is what you just mentioned, you know, actually finding the perpetrators. And what's strange is that the HMRC says they're working very hard with... um, local authorities to catch these people. But um, they said that to me a couple of days ago, and they, sat, they said that as well four years ago when we initially wrote about this in 2016. So in that time frame, they haven't arrested, or at least they haven't publicly prosecuted and charged, a single person related to these phone scams. When I asked for an example of someone they, mani- they, they were able to arrest or the number of arrests, they only had one example they could give me, and that was to a related scam, but not a phone scam.
2: Now, lots of readers are saying, okay, it's not just down to, to HMRC. They are the tax authority. These people are impersonating them, but they're doing it through the phone system. They're spoofing numbers. Um, they're using websites. They're using emails. They're going through our mobile phones. And clearly, they're with the fact that they knew your Postcode, There's also kind of like wider data protection issues here. So it shouldn't just be down to the to the tax office to sort this out. This needs a coordinated effort from um, people like the phone companies and the UK fraud authorities, um, who many readers say they've had problems reporting these kinds of calls.
3: Yeah, one thing that people were mentioning a lot is that the website of action fraud is kind of hard to get through and it takes a while just to report the call that you just got. And so um, HMRC has told us that in the last year they got 200,000 reports of these calls happening and over 900,000 reports of these types of scams through text or websites. But really the reality could be much bigger and it seems from our experience as well, people are just struggling just to report it. And then once you've reported it, Um, what is anyone doing about that information. Now, HMRC
2: have given very detailed information in the article about their official advice. If you have a contact, either through text, through email um, or a call asking for money, what should you do?
3: Right. Uh, So HMRC's advice, recognise the signs. Genuine organisations like banks and HMRC will never contact you out of the blue to ask for your bank details, PIN or password. Stay safe, don't give out private information, reply to text messages, download attachments or click on links in emails you weren't expecting. Take action. Forward suspicious emails claiming to be from HMRC to phishing at hmrc.gov.uk and texts to 6599. Check GovUK for information on how to avoid and report scams and to recognize genuine HMRC contact. And if you think you have received an HMRC-related phishing or bogus email or text message, you can check it against the examples published on the official government website. And then the last advice was contact your bank immediately if you believe you've submitted card details to a scammer and report to action fraud if you suffer financial loss.
2: OK, well, that's all very well. But unfortunately, some readers have been telling us about how, although they haven't fallen for these scams, their elderly parents have. Um, FT reader CB commented, I was dismayed um, to discover that my parents had been scammed twice. What was worse, that at least to my suspicion, the scammers had cottoned on to the fact that my father had recently passed away and the scam attempts against my mother in her vulnerable state were relentless. The landline would ring perhaps 20 or 30 times on average a day with almost every phone call either trying to sell her something she didn't need or being an outright scam. Now, I have to say there are quite a few um, readers who had similar issues um, Another reader says that they ended up having their parents' number registered with the Telephone Protection Service. That's something that's free to do online and also set up call blocking through the BT Guardian service um, in order to stem um, the flow of scam calls. BT, it has to be said, also runs a 1572 service where you can add different numbers to a personal blacklist. But we're going to put some of your concerns directly um, to, to BT to hear what they're doing about the level of scam calls and if there's anything else that listeners can do. Um, also, plenty of you took issue with action fraud. I have two different readers calling them inaction fraud. Um, said they've reported crimes and never heard um, anything back. Um, people have take an issue as you say Alice with the website takes a long time um, to report scams to action fraud says FT reader English Rose Um, why do they not use AI to collate the data because I want them to know that I get about two scam calls every day of the year on each line so about 600 a year never mind emails but I am certainly not filling in 600 separate reports with them I mean you've really hit a nerve
3: yeah And I mean, everyone around me is talking about this as well and saying it's happened to them. I mean, it's unbelievably common. And yet we haven't I haven't seen a single poster or flyer or anything like that in the streets of London where I live talking about this.
2: Well, to help
3: counteract
2: um, (laughs) that that vacuum, we've made your piece on the FT website, free to read. It's in front of the paywall. You can share it on social media. People certainly are. Uh, And it contains all the advice from HMRC about what you should do if you think that you've um, received a fraudulent contact or if you have accidentally given the fraud to your money. You can read and share Alice Cantor's piece, How I Nearly Fell for a £2,300 Tax Scam. The address, ft.com slash scam. And if you want to get in touch with us about any of these issues, you can email the Money team, money at ft.com. We'd love to hear from you and we will come back to this issue on a future podcast. More than a million families are still missing out on tax-free childcare, even though the scheme was launched almost two years ago. According to HMRC, just 205,000 families used the tax-free childcare scheme in December. While this is an increase from the 91,000 families who used the scheme December a year previously, it's still a fraction of the estimated 1.3 million families who are eligible. Lucy Warwick-Ching, Communities Editor for FT Money, is in the studio now. Welcome, Lucy. Hi. So tell us first, what is
4: tax-free childcare and how do these accounts work? It's a government scheme that's designed to help working parents with their childcare costs. So the tax-free childcare account specifically is like an online savings account. It's run through NSNI and so you can pay cash into it to pay your childcare provider provided they're registered. But then so for every 8 pounds you pay in, the government will make a top-up payment of an additional £2. So this is up to a maximum of £2,000 per child per year. So it's not inconsiderable amount of money. Mm, it's pretty good. But why, then, are families not claiming it? So I think the problem is is that it's one of a range of schemes that are being run by the government to help working parents and people say it's confusing they don't know whether they'll be eligible for it there's not really been enough information out about it and then there's also there was lots of teething problems at the beginning with people setting them up with childcare providers not being registered and so there's been lots of problems with it but it's just I think the problem is there's the message is not getting through to parents that they can claim it, that they'll be eligible for it and that it's even around. So tell us, because we're listening, who is eligible? How much can you earn before they disallow your claim? It is quite generous. So it's it's open to working parents, um, but both parents have to be working. But it's including the self-employed. So the previous scheme, the um Childcare vouchers wasn't available to people who were self-employed, so you had it, to get it through a, a PA way, exactly.
2: scheme, yeah.
4: And um, so this scheme is open to working parents, and uh, but you have to earn between the minimum wage and a hundred thousand pounds a year, and so that that's per parent, exactly. Not jointly.
2: yes. So quite different then from the child benefit restriction, which um, kicks in at 60,000. I think that is possibly confusing Mm. a lot of people. How old do your children have to be in order to claim?
4: So they can be aged between zero, so just when they're first born, and 11 years old. So that's confusing as well. So lots of people I know think that it's only available for children before they go to school. Mm. But you can use this tax-free childcare account payments for childcare arrangements before school and also for after school care. Pickup. So exactly an issue. Yeah. Um but it's but I have to add that it's only for families based in England. So Scotland, Wales and Northern Ireland each have their own different childcare schemes.
2: And um you have to reconfirm your details on the website as you know yes <laughs> every three months because you have had issues um with this with this scheme um, you've written about it before in your family money column um in fc.com. Um you've had difficulty setting it up so tell us about your own experience
4: I mean, I don't want to put people off because it's actually relatively easy to set up one of these accounts. So you'll need your details your and your partner's details. So things like your national insurance number and your unique taxpayer reference, but only if you're self-employed. But you also need to know exactly how much you earn and your partner earns. But it only takes about 20 minutes to apply. And then you'll find out if you qualify within a week. But when the scheme initially launched, there was lots of technical issues on the website. And I... And lots of many, many hundreds of people struggled to open accounts because the technology wasn't there to support people opening these accounts. So, and
2: deeply ironic yeah. that you're there with two children under five banging your head against the table because um, you can't get the blooming website to work. I mean, I think in the end, I, I said, "Look, you should do this at work because um, it's a it's a work related activity because you're going to end up writing a column on it," which you which you did. But yes, it's um, something that. They've largely sorted out now those kinds of teething problems.
4: Yes, but then, as you mentioned before, with the reconfirming every three months, that causes problems as well, because um, you only have a a short window to reconfirm. And if you haven't reconfirmed, then they try and bump you off the system or, you know, it's, it's... you get a and call then, from from the nursery saying, exactly. you know, there's problems
2: with your payment because there's not enough money in your tax recharging yes, account." Yes,
4: and the payments don't go through, and then there's a disconnect between childcare providers and the HMRC account. So, I've had lots of phone calls trying to sort out, you know, where the money has gone, and it's sometimes the code has been written down by um, incorrectly by the childcare provider. It's, it's it has caused me a lot of anguish over the last few months and the last couple of years actually but um, I don't want that to put people off because it isn't it is a considerable amount of money you know it saved me actually um, a few thousand pounds by opening one of these accounts so it is worthwhile it's not particularly if you have young children at nursery because some people are paying you know, £12,000 in nursery fees. So you can get the maximum of £2,000 a year from the government towards that. So it is worth investing the time. So there you have it.
2: Tax-free childcare accounts. Definitely worth having, although we'd prefer it if they were rather more frictionless. That's it from the FT Money podcast this week. If you would like to get in touch with our team of experts, you can email us, money at ft.com or follow us on Twitter at ftmoney is our handle. I'm Claire Barrett, FT Money editor, and this podcast was produced in London by the multi-talented and versatile Lucy Warwick Ching. We'll be back next Thursday, the usual time. Goodbye.